Well, thank you, Doug. Um, good evening, everyone. It's really great to, to be with you all and to be able to share and speak with you today. If you've ever seen the film, The Shawshank Redemption, you know it to be full of wonderful quotes and profound messages. There's a powerful conversation in the prison canteen where Red and Andy are talking about hope. Andy talks about hope being something that no one can take away from you. But Red tells Andy that hope is a dangerous thing and that it can kill a man. Andy later tells Red that hope is a good thing, maybe even the best of things, and no good thing ever dies. Many of us have had a tough year. A lot of people have really struggled with not being able to see friends and family and loved ones. And I know that we're firmly in spring now and we're supposed to be looking forward. But having said that, it does feel a little bit like Christmas because we had snow at the start of this week and apparently earlier today. But Christmas was also a difficult time for many. To be told that we would be able to spend time together with loved ones, only for that hoped to be dashed at short notice, was heartbreaking for a lot of people. And on this current roadmap, when we got the news about the different stages and the different possibilities of the restrictions being lifted, with the vaccine rollout and the levels of the virus decreasing, there was a sense of the same hope that was lost just a few months ago, being renewed. Holidays started to be booked. Dates were going back into diaries and weddings were being replanned. And tomorrow we reach another stage of the roadmap that gives hope to my hair being restored back to something that's a little bit more presentable. But I just want to take a little look at the reading we've just had. Now, for context, the Jewish nation, the nation of Israel, was attacked and taken away from Jerusalem into Babylon at approximately five to 600 BC. And the Israelites were in exile for about 100 to 150 years. Nehemiah comes into this story at some point of the middle. And so we know that he wasn't there from the start, but he was an educated man and a caring man. So would have known the history and the pain of his people. He'd have heard about the temple, the city and its glory and the hardship for the people to get there, but also the pain of their removal. And as such, Nehemiah felt a little bit hopeless at the start. He was sad to see the state that Jerusalem had been left in since the exile. The place that was once the Holy Land and the dwelling place of God and his people was now a wasteland of ruins and destruction. But in the previous chapter, we see that Nehemiah was a man of prayer and knowledge. In chapter 1, verse 8, he says, Remember the instructions you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling place for my name.
Nehemiah was also the cupbearer to the king. This was a position of honor and integrity, and one that had the respect of King Artaxerxes for the king to respond so compassionately to Nehemiah's sadness. Upon hearing Nehemiah's plea and vision, the king gave him leave and access to resources for Nehemiah to rebuild the city of Jerusalem, the place he and his ancestors were promised to be their home. But it had been a while since the exile and the state of Jerusalem was now unknown. Nehemiah went to inspect what was out there and returned to those who would be carrying out the work. And he said to them, you see the trouble that we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned. Come, let's rebuild Jerusalem's walls so that we will no longer be a disgrace. I told them how the gracious hand of my God had been on me and what the king had said to me. And they said, let's start rebuilding. And their hands were strengthened to do this good work. If we had more time, I'd love to go through the whole book of Nehemiah. And for anyone who hasn't already done so, may I please encourage you and recommend that you do. But in this chapter, there are three key things that Nehemiah models for us. For us to grow in society, to grow in our community, and in our places or spheres of influence. And those three things are vision, leadership, and prayer. I alluded earlier to not being able to see our loved ones as a struggle over the past year. However, there have been a number of issues that have impacted people over the season, even before the pandemic hit. There has been a significant rise in concerns around mental health and well-being. People have lost friends and family to COVID and other illnesses, and being able to get closure and grieve has been fraught with complications and restrictions. People have lost jobs and struggled to find work to support themselves and their families. Issues around serious youth violence and substance abuse have not gone away. Concerns over justice and equality have seen demonstrations, marches and protests around race, sexuality, gender equality, freedom and people's right to speak freely over issues that concern them. Like Nehemiah, who sat down and wept and mourned for a number of days, it can all feel a bit overwhelming. And at the moment, it can feel like we're surrounded by mess. But Nehemiah held on to the hope of a promise that was given to Moses generations before. And he prayed into a vision to help restore the city of Jerusalem. A vision that was to bring about a recovery from the exile. And when he brought that vision to the king, it wasn't a case of I can't do anything because I don't have the materials, I don't have the resources. When the vision flowed and God was behind it, the resources followed. The letter to Asaph for the building materials, the letters to the governors for workers and officers for protection. When there is a vision, provision follows. 
but a vision is only as good as the people who are applying it. We know that there are a lot of people who are fantastic orators and speakers and inspirers of change and encouragement, but sometimes it can appear to be all talk. There is sometimes a lack of leadership and guidance as to how we can apply that inspiration into practical, applicable change. You can have vision and resources, but leadership is also required for continued development. Anyone can sell or catch a vision, but a leader, they take you on a journey with it. Leadership is the capacity to translate vision into reality. We see this again with Nehemiah. He went and assessed the state of the land and used his passion for what he saw to inspire the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the others who would be doing the work to not see his own vision, but to take the vision and own it as theirs. That the restoration of the city was not just for Nehemiah, but a dream that could be a reality that they are able to grasp hold of. Leadership invites you to catch the vision, own it as yours, and journeys with you through the application. But how do you trust the leadership to deliver on the vision? As cupbearer to the king, Nehemiah had shown that he was trustworthy. He was a highly respected official in exile and a well-loved member among his people. When the wall of the city was being rebuilt, Nehemiah gave clear instruction, build the wall that is your responsibility in front of your land. Do your bit to the very best of your ability and leave the freedom for your neighbours to do likewise. With this process, the wall was built in record time and stronger than anyone could ever imagine. He then went on to assign protection for the workers and provision for the needy. And when the time came, the exiles returned from Babylon. Leadership that allows you freedom to focus on your responsibility and encourages you to do your best. In that, with the knowledge that you will be safe, will always allow vision to develop and be implemented effectively. Nehemiah was also a great prayer warrior in all of this. His prayer in the first chapter sets the scene for the type of person that he is. And then again, when he's talking to the king, he prays for wisdom and gives the vision for the plan to rebuild his lost home. When the city is rebuilt, he prays again for wisdom with what to do next and positions the watchmen on the walls. He implements the processes to help feed the hungry and support the poor. And when he comes up against opposition, he prayed. He was ridiculed and he prayed. And through all of the city, through all of this, the city was rebuilt in record time. Provision came and a promise and prophecy was fulfilled. And the journey of God's people continued. But the one thing that underpinned the vision, the leadership and the prayer was the fact that Nehemiah cared. Nehemiah cared enough to pray. 
he cared enough to listen and he cared enough to act. But what does this mean for us? A year later from that first lockdown, a year on, and there is still so much unknown that lies ahead. A year on, and so much has changed. A year on, and we're still struggling to get through a day without saying or hearing, you're on mute. So what does our recovery look like? How are we being asked or led to come back from our exile? I mentioned some of the many concerns that have impacted our way of life, both pre and during the pandemic. But there has also been so much good that has taken place as well. Within a stone's throw away from here, the Pearly Food Hub has adapted and produced 49,000 meals across 2020, all over the borough. The Croydon Refugee Day Centre has helped provide the clothing and support for many who have travelled to the UK for safe domain. The Lockdown Hunger Campaign, run by many churches across the UK, have helped feed 9,000 families of school students who struggled with food poverty over the summer and other school holidays. The Your Neighbour and Faith in Later Life call centres have been incredible and powerful at providing emotional support and practical needs for the most vulnerable in our communities. Captain Tom walked 100 miles as a beacon of encouragement and support for the NHS. Our teachers and school staff have poured blood, sweat and tears into ensuring that our children, our young people, are not left behind. And there are many other individuals and organisations who have been plugging away to show how much they care for, they, for their community. But it'll be wrong for us to think that this is what happened as a result of the pandemic. Many of these organisations have been in operation long before COVID-19. But through vision, leadership and prayer, they adapted and were part of the restoration since before the pandemic, but have been more prominent this past year as more people have needed their support. And there's one more thing that Nehemiah showed us that will aid our recovery. When Nehemiah was casting the vision to rebuild Jerusalem, it was not to restore the city to a former glory. Those times had gone and so much had changed that it would not be helpful for them to go back. But the vision was for a rebuild, a rebuild that understood the foundation that was laid before. But with that, created and allowed the space for growth and movement for what was needed to come. We see a glimpse of this when Ezra shared the law later in the story. The Levites or the priests were given space to move away from their platform and directed into the crowd to explain the teachings of the law to the lay people in a way in which they could understand. The teachings that were once held only for the priests to know 
was now being shared and understood by a whole community. They moved into a time where Jerusalem was developing and moving forward together. Everyone was being brought onto the same page, regardless of any status held. And that's another model for us to look to. We need to create space to bring people up to speed on their own part of the restoration, to focus on the area that they are responsible in this recovery. And for this, we need to acknowledge where we are, where we were, and where we are going or where we want to go. As we look to our own recovery from the effects of the pandemic, we need to acknowledge the issues that were there before as part of the restoration that we want to bring forth. And it's not about rebuilding to be back to normal or creating a new normal, but using the foundation of what was there to know how and where to allow space for things to move on to create freedom for fresh vision to expand, to provide opportunities for new leaders to take responsibility and thrive and make way for passion to be turned into prayer and ultimately see that prayer turn to action as we seek first the kingdom of heaven. But let me bring you back to Red and Andy in Shawshank. Just a warning about this next part, it does contain spoilers, so I apologize if you've not seen the film. On two occasions, Red spoke to the parole board about how he felt ready to be rehabilitated back into society. He was hopeful for his release, but both times he was rejected. But on the third occasion, when Red was an old man, he was asked by the parole board, are you sorry? And he said, there's not a day goes by, I don't feel regret. Not because I'm in here and not because you think I should. I look back on the way I was then, a young stupid kid who committed that terrible crime. I want to talk to him. I want to try to talk some sense into him, tell him the way things are but I can't. That kid is long gone. And this old man is all that is left. I've got to live with that. Rehabilitated? That's just a BS word. So you go on and stamp your form, Sonny, and stop wasting my time. Because I tell you the truth. I don't care. Red had lost his vision. Red didn't have his friend Andy to lead him, and he didn't care anymore. But at this point, his parole was granted, and he remembered something Andy told him about the location of a tree and a buried present. When Red found that present, Andy gave Red hope. And the way I like to look at this is hope is helping open people's eyes. Helping open people's eyes.
Andy gave Red a task, a purpose to help open his eyes to a future outside of Shawshank. Last week and early this morning, we learned how Jesus gave his followers hope after the defeat of Good Friday by rising from death on that Easter Sunday to walk with us again. And we are now powered by the presence of the Holy Spirit to help open people's eyes within our own community, our own spheres, to a vision of recovery from the pain, recovery from the mess, and recovery from the darkness that has been present in people's lives over this past year and beyond. Because across the global church last week, we heard how Jesus gave us hope, and 2,000 years ago, led us from a place of mess, destruction, and death into a promise of life, forgiveness, and restoration. A promise he also gave to Nehemiah years before that first Easter. And that same promise that he's continuing to show us today. And when God promises something to us, he always delivers. So my prayer for you is this. May you know hope. May you dream bigger than you could ever imagine for a vision that grows farther than you ever could. Or may you lead or be led with courage and integrity and be inspired by passion and trust. And may you know the power of prayer that makes your heart beat louder. And may I invite you to encounter the presence of a living Jesus that calls you into a deeper love, a deeper forgiveness, and the restoration and recovery of all things at the coming together of eternity. Amen. Now I want to leave you with the beautiful sign-off that comes at the end of the film. I hope that this finds you, and this finds you well. Thank you. <laughs>